1: Welcome to Remote Controlled, Variety's TV Podcast. I'm Deborah Bernbaum. Every week, we'll bring you conversations with some of the best and brightest in television, working behind and in front of the camera. On today's episode, we're talking with Uber producer Carlton Hughes about the series finale of his hit show The Strain. Stay tuned. <laughs> I'm Deborah Burnbaum with Variety, and it's my pleasure to welcome Carlton Cuse.
0: Thank you, Deborah. Happy to be here.
1: He's happy to have you. So you're heading into the final season of The Strain. How does that feel for you?
0: Well, it's a mixed feelings. I mean, it's been such a great experience making the show, uh, you know, with everybody involved and and working with FX. It's been fantastic, and so I'm sort of I'm sad to see it end, but on the other hand, doing the last season of a television show is awesome because. <laughs> You know, there's no more stalling around, and you get to ultimately take the characters to meet their ultimate fates, and that's a really fun and exciting thing to do as a storyteller.
1: Why did you make the decision to end it now?
0: Uh, I think because it felt like we were stalling around. You know, the, um, the the idea was always to do three seasons of the show when we sold it. Um, it was originally going to be one season for each book, and then, um, you know, as Guillermo and Chuck Hogan and I collaborated on um, the story. We felt like we could take the second book and make it into two seasons. But then, kind of going into season four, it really felt like you know we needed to increase the storytelling velocity and finish the story. It was you know it was never meant to be like you know The Walking Dead, an open ended experience. And I think in part because there's, there's, like a, there's a main bad guy. There's this master, and he's out there, and there's only so many times you can kind of confront him and fail. And it really felt like it was time to deliver to the audience some ultimate resolution of the narrative.
1: Is the finale you're writing towards the finale you always had in mind from the beginning?
0: No, I think that you know one of the things that I love about making television is I kind of view it as this very organic process. I really listen to the show, and the show tells you when you listen to the show a lot about what it wants to be and there are many, many differences between the television show and the books I mean i, I you know you could read the strain books and i and have a fantastic experience. They're a wonderful uh, literary experience, but the television show is its own thing, and I think as we began as we got deeper into the television show, relationships developed, the kind of dynamics between uh, actors developed. We, you know, when we wrote to those and we played those up and, and those all come into play at the end of the, at the, end of the show. And, you, you know, the, the how, how, who, which characters live, which characters die and how they all land at the end of this was really the product of creative discovery that came from making the whole show.
1: How much did you want to keep true to the novels and how much freedom did you have to sort of vary away from them?
0: Uh, I had ultimate freedom to vary away from them and I did that in concert with with Chuck and Guillermo who you know were very enlightened and non um, they they you know didn't feel precious about the books I mean the books exist and will always exist and that's um, its own story but the television show very much had to become its own thing and I worked on. You know, I worked on the storytelling in collaboration with um, Guillermo, and especially with Chuck Hogan, who was really involved in the writing. and In this final season, we co wrote the first episode and the final episode, and uh, you know, it really it was it was really exciting to be able to you know sort of take certain landmarks from the books, but really apart from that, come up with our own story.
1: How did fans respond to that? Were they tied to the novels, and were they happy with the direction you were taking the show in? I
0: think. I've, overwhelmingly, fans seem to be happy with the direction that the television show is taken. I mean, I I think that um, the, and also, you know, proportionally, the number of people who watch a television show versus read a book is just, you know, it's vastly greater. Um, So maybe that has something to do with it. But I haven't really heard much from fans who are like, oh, I wish the show was more like the books. I just haven't had that response. What have you heard from fans? What I've heard from fans is that they're really excited about the final season of the show because it feels, um, you know, the storytelling um, is intense and it's climactic and it's leading towards obviously a big finish. and. You know, I, I think that that is that it's the it's the double edged sword. It's like the last season of Breaking Bad. I mean, everybody jumped on the Breaking Bad bus because they knew that they were going to get the ultimate resolution of what happened to Walter White. And I think in in our case, um, you know, there's the excitement of it getting to see well what what happens to all these characters and you know, there is a definitive and dramatic resolution for all of our characters. It's not like this is the, the strain definitely does not um, just sort of peter out and some sort of, you know, existential angst or something. No, it's like, it's big and no fade to black. (laughs) I mean, it's, and no, and no weird fade to black. I mean, I should I, weird in the best possible way because I at that I love 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 the soprano's ending but it was appropriate for that show this you know I've always seen the strain as basically a like a summer popcorn movie and it is this Um, graphic novel brought to life and it's you know it's meant to be kind of fun and entertaining and um, you know larger than life and of course any show where you have you know the bad guys are these you know vampiric creatures that shoot six foot stingers out that you know suck you dry like a capri sun (laughs) you know kind of in a way defines a certain tone uh you know just just on its own and and you know, we leaned into that, and I think that that's what... So I think that it's like, you know, getting to see the end of a Star Wars movie or something. I mean, I think there's something that's that's fun and, and grand and operatic and dramatic, and it was really fun to, to figure it out and to write it.
1: Are there specific themes you're trying to tackle in the final season?
0: Um, you know, I think that the show has always, on some level, tried to explore, um, you know, the... So it's it's a theme themes that are being explored a lot in shows now. Certainly, like you know, it's obviously a highly dystopic world, and how do um, you know how do humans react in a world where the the sort of the set of rules and conventions has been turned upside down, and how you know how we as humans sometimes in our self interest um, and uh, you know our own sort of kind of. Uh, narcissistic focus lose sight of the greater good and in a way the this whole sort of parasitic invasion wasn't something that was destined to happen it was it happened because humans were very complicit in letting it happen because you know people didn't like look beyond themselves enough to figure out a way to kind of get together and stop it Um, And I, you know, and I think so there's, there's a lot of metaphorical connections to, you know, other evils in the world, like World War Two. And, and, um, you know, obviously, uh, I think a lot of people feel we live in like a pretty dystopic world today. And, you know, everybody's kind of thinks about, well, what are, what are, what are, what is my strategy for coping in a world where, um, you know, I'm not really aligned with how I'm being governed. That's for sure.
1: Um we've seen a lot of vampire shows on TV. What do you think set the Strain apart?
0: Well, one of the th- I mean there were two things that got me excited about doing The Strain in the first place. One was getting to collaborate with Guillermo who is a brilliant visualist and creature creator and it felt like I'd never done a creature show, and I was like, well, if you're going to do one, you need to do one where the creatures are really cool and innovative and interesting, and there's no one better than Guillermo at that. And so that was really fun and and fulfilling to be able to have that collaboration and go through that whole process and learn all about that. I mean, I kind of think of my career as, as a giant learning experience. You know, one of my favorite quotes is like, late in life, Akira Kurosawa I think when he was making Ron said that he was just now figuring out how to make movies, you know, and he was like in his 70s. And so uh, it was a, it was a kind of a great learning experience. But the thing that attracted me about the narrative was, is that these were scary vampires, you know, that we'd had a lot of vampire shows, but they were really about like handsome brooding dudes with uh, girl problems. Uh, and
1: they're just misunderstood.
0: Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was fun to take vampires back to their to their actual root and origins, which are just horrible, parasitic creatures.
1: And I think that's what the audience really responded to.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's what set the show apart. I mean, when you're working in the sort of vampire genre space, you better have a different take on it. And I think The Strain had a really singular take on (laughs) vampires. These were definitely not romantic dudes that you wanted to hang out with. Because they were misunderstood.
1: Because they were misunderstood. So where does that leave them going into the finale?
0: Well, I mean, I think one of the things that's really interesting about the final season of the show is is that um, humans are no longer at the top of the food chain. You know, so you have these uh, you know the these vampiric creatures that have actually gotten above you know humans in terms of the uh, evolutionary hierarchy. And the question really is is you know do do humans have enough resilience and resources um, to figure out a way to reclaim? Their spot uh, at the top of the heap, and you know that's that's what plays out at the, in the last few episodes of the show.
1: So, if we had to bet on humans versus vampires,
0: uh, you know, uh, I would probably bet on humans. But um, you have to be, you know, I, I think there's definitely twists and turns that happen at the end of the show that will keep you engaged, and and uh, it is the strain. It's a uh, it's a it's a dark story too. So. Um, I think the audience will be surprised.
1: I've heard you say that no one is safe going to the finale.
0: No one is safe going to the finale. Um, you know, also it's one of the wonderful things about working at FX too. There isn't some sort of de rigueur expectation that you know X, Y, or Z character has to survive, and so we really, um, you know, we 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 really tried hard to make sure that each character. Um, kind of arrived at his or her inevitable fate, and that we weren't prejudging that by saying, "Oh, this character has to live, or that character has to live," for the audience to feel good about the show. Um, and that that was really liberating and exciting.
1: Talk about working with FX. What kind of creative freedom do they offer you?
0: I mean, FX is really the gold standard of where to work, and it's you know, it's 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 wonderful it's also kind of painful sometimes when you have to work other places that are, you know, not as en- enlightened. Um, and you know, I have to say, you know, John Landgraf and, and everyone there is, you know, exceptionally focused on really doing what they can to ensure that you as a creative person can do your best work. And, um, and you get notes from FX, like, you know, you know, make this more messed up, you know, like, <laughs> like, tangle this up, make this more complicated, make this, you know, thornier, you know, it's like, it, it, in, in some ways, the notes are the antithesis of the kinds of, you know, the traditional notes, particularly, um, you, you know, coming out of, um, at the beginning of my career, when I was really doing network television, you know, it's, it's really an interesting evolution. Network television used to be, you know, it's all about, um, you know, kind of finding a a broad and wide lowest common denominator. So notes are always about clarify this, make it clearer, make it, you know, uh, you know, t- make things more accessible to the broadest audience. Now I think we live in an age where um, it's much more important to be somebody's favorite show. And, you know, if you, it's totally fine to occupy a niche. And as long as you are really committing to, Engaging that niche audience. And I think FX does an amazing job of really making you as a showrunner um, challenge yourself to do the best possible version of the show that you're trying to do. And I think they do a great job of sort of extracting from you, um, you know, in the, in the best way that you, you know, you think about like famous book editors, you know, who've worked with great authors to help kind of shape their stories or help them realize fully what they want to say i mean i think that's kind of the approach that you get working at fx
1: could you see yourself going back to broadcast and doing a show over there
0: yeah absolutely i don't have any particular um i don't have a snobbery about platforms i think every show has its right full place and um some shows you know deserve some shows you know should be on FX. Some should be on HBO. Some should be on ABC or or CBS. And I think every show has its rightful location. And you know, I had I had fun doing network television. I feel like Lost was this weird hybrid. It was a non-network show on network television. Yes. Um, but I also I you know I created and 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 ran a show for six years called Nash Bridges on CBS, which was uh you know a, a kind of an action comedy. Uh, cop show, and you know, I had a lot of fun making it, so yeah. I mean, I, I think that uh, I, I, again, I, I, I'm, I, I could, I, I don't have any particular like limitations about where I would make shows.
1: It feels like Lost, and we've talked about this before, sort of set the standard for shows sending their end date. I mean, we, you know, obviously, you're doing that with Strain, you did it with Bates Motel. It feels like, I mean, it, it helps audiences kind of know where to find things these days.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm very proud of the fact that with Lost, we did something that had never been done in network television before. We negotiated our own end date while the show was still popular. And, you know, no one had ever done that. And But it was really critical to us because we had a certain amount of mythology and we had to know how long we had to play that mythology out. And we were, you know, in the third season of the show and we had to figure out what, you know, we had to know what our end date was so we knew how to tell the rest of our story. And now my feeling is that um, you have to think of television shows more like books, uh, you know, they have a shelf life and people will watch them, you know, years from now and they need to feel complete. And I think it's very important to um, figure out when your show should end. And um, in the case of Bates Motel, right from the beginning, um, Carrie Aaron and I had a idea that the show should be five seasons and 50 episodes and we had sort of a, a an arc and a plan for each of the seasons and with The Strain as I said it was originally planned to be three seasons and then you know it ended up being four because as we got into the storytelling we felt we could make a few more episodes but you know it was always planned to have an end date and I think that that's um, you know I think that's those are the best kinds of shows in fact I think what's happening now is that um we're seeing more and more that even shorter shows really attract an audience and i think that's it's there's two reasons for that one is that you know in a world of 450 television shows or i don't i don't know how many john langraf said there are coming <laughs> up next year i think it's over 500 yes
1: i'm still shaking
0: <laughs> and yes it, it's 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 anxiety provoking you know there's no way that you can Possibly watch all the good stuff that's on television. So the idea of watching something that's like an eight or ten hour thing is much less daunting. So if you think like, okay, I, I can I can do Fargo, I can do a season of True Detective, I can do Handmaid's Tale, Handmaid's Tale, but I mean, it's just um, you know, so shorter orders, I think are. Kind of more palatable for an audience that is afraid of, you know, commitment. Given the number of shows that are out there, but also as a storyteller, being able to go from A to Z in eight hours or ten hours is a huge advantage, you know, and and allows you to have a, um, you know, the, there's, you know, a velocity and a and a kind of dramatic intensity to your storytelling that's much harder when you're kind of contemplating fifty hours Absolutely. or a hundred hours.
1: <laughs> it's hard to imagine. Do you think networks are more responsive to this idea now that they're more embracing the idea, of like okay, this show is just going to be a three or four episode run? Given what it takes to launch a show and make a hit in the first place, I
0: think it's harder in the network television environment. I think that um, I think cable um, still has the advantage of being able to, you know, market and promote limited series. You know, I think the network business still fundamentally is you have to program a lot of hours and. Because it's so expensive to, to market and launch a show, I, I think they're still looking at solutions that involve shows that run for a long time. And there's definitely a whole – there's whole categories of shows. I mean, like Closed Ended Procedurals. I mean, CBS has done a fantastic job of making a great business out of making a certain kind of show.
1: When you look back over The Strain, is there a moment you're proudest of?
0: Um, I, I mean, there's a lot that I love – Um, about the show. Uh, There was sort of, you know, I I think it's one of the things that's always exciting is when you make the episode of the show where you feel like everything kind of clicks into place perfectly. And there was an episode of The Strain in the first season where we had sort of a siege at a convenience store slash gas station. And to me, that was like the... The, the point at which like kind of everything sort of clicked at its best um, and that's always really exciting because I think you know when you start a show you're you're searching for what's the paradigm of what makes an episode work and you're trying to figure out like how do I make this sh- there was like an episode of Lost too that I remember in in the um, first season called Outlaws which was the uh I think the 15th episode of the show that I had the same sort of feeling where I was like ah okay this is what it is this is how it works this is this is like and it's just it's like I guess it would be the same as you know being a like a, a basketball player and going out and scoring 40 points and having you know uh, a triple double or something you know it's just it's it's that moment when you feel like everything's firing on all cylinders and that's that convenience store episode in the first season was the one where I felt like okay this is this is what our show can be at its best
1: and what about a challenging moment?
0: Um, you know, it was... Um, there were definitely some challenging moments. Um, you know, we... we uh, you know, we just... We had... Um, you know, it was just... I, I think that one of the, the hardest things about the show was we shot the show in the dead of winter in toronto and i mean there were literally some times in the last couple of winters which were extraordinarily cold where we literally had to you know not shoot we had to like move like a week of material around because you know we were trying to shoot vampire battles in the middle of the night in toronto and it was literally 20 or 20 below zero and the actors you know couldn't work outside. It was too cold, especially in the very limited amount of uh, clothing that you wear when you're a stragoy, And, um, it was, it was a really hard show to make. I mean, the, uh, you can see it and you can sort of feel it, but you can't really know it if you, ha- if you weren't there. And I think that that was, um, you know, the, the, the physical, endurance required by the directors and the actors to make the show is um, something that I think is very under reported and understated and uh, you know it it made it made the show look wonderful to shoot in the winter but it was really hard
1: you've talked about you learned something from every experience is there something you learned from this one
0: um oh my gosh I think there's like a million things I learned but I I you know I I, I think that um I don't know that there's any one giant lesson that I learned from this show. I, I think that it's, you know, one of, one of the ongoing lessons that I think is important is that, that, and that is, you know, when you make a television show, there's this kind of alchemy factor. You know, you, as, as good as your intentions are, you also have to have alchemy. You know, you have to have the right combination of writers and directors and, um, and actors and, and the way in which everybody gets along On a show is a huge factor in the show's success and also in the enjoyment factor of making the show. And you know, we kind of fell into this wonderful alchemy on the strain that was, I think, the was the countervailing force to the cold winters in Toronto (laughs) was that everybody really loved each other. The actors really connected and got along. We didn't have any, um, you know, we, we we you know, we didn't have like anybody who was a problem and. And, um, you know, I I really have to give a big shout out to Miles Dale, who was our producing director in Toronto, who sort of, you know, was the the field general managing this incredible operation and getting the show made day to day, week to week, season to season. And, you know, he was a, a fantastic leader and a huge factor in making the show, you know, making the show work and making sure that everybody had a good time while it was working.
1: Every time I talk to you, I marvel at all the shows you're juggling at any one given time. So, you've, you know, the strain's wrapping up, Bates is wrapping up. But you've got more coming up. Again, how do you do it? How do you juggle everything?
0: Um, you know, I think that I one of the things I love about television is, is that it's a collaborative medium. And I love nothing more than working with other writers. And, you know, the reason I'm able to do what I do is because I'm working with a bunch of other talented people who really um, do a lot of the, you know, a lot of the hard work and, you know, I blessed to have great collaborators like Carrie Aaron on Bates and, you know, Chuck Hogan and, uh, uh, like, uh, Weddle and Thompson on strain and, um, on Jack Ryan, I have Graham Roland and, um, I'm doing this new pilot called lock and key. And I'm working with Joe Hill, who is, um, Stephen King's son and a wonderful guy and a great writer and those those collaborations are kind of and and are what make it possible.
1: So you've got some projects coming up on screen on streaming. You mentioned Lock and Key and Jack Ryan. How does that experience feel different for you? Is it different?
0: It it is different. I mean, the you know, the imperative on streaming is really just to have people keep watching and you know, I, I love the lack of content restrictions. You know, I, I, I like that people can um, drop F-bombs whenever they want, which is really fun. Uh, and, you know, speak like people really speak. And um, also, I feel like the, um, you know, just the, like, this is the, the audiences are quickly changing in how they're habituated and how they watch stuff. And streaming is how people watch things. I mean, it was... Uh, you know, uh, if you think about Netflix, which, you know, five years ago was spending like $300 million on original programming, and this year it's like over $5 billion. I mean, it really speaks to, you know, kind of a, the, an evolution of how the audience is is, is taking in shows. I, I, I miss the week-to-week engagement. I mean, I think that the sort of the the you know hbo still has the corner on that market and i think it's been enormously helpful to shows like westworld and game of thrones to have that sort of week-to-week engagement with the audience um i think hulu has interestingly been experimenting with sort of the hybrid model on um handmaid's tale um and the um but you know it's 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 a little weird when you do something and then it all just drops in one day and uh, you know i i i i still feel like there's some kind of there there's there's a weird dynamic to that in the sense that like you can't necessarily talk to someone maybe they've watched four but they haven't watched all 10 or whatever but but it definitely is how people are watching television and it's it's how people stay engaged and so i'm you know i'm really interested to sort of see to take it all the way through the process i'm in the making of the show process now and Mm -hmm. i'll be you know i'll have more to I probably can speak more <laughs> intelligently about it once they've actually dropped and I have a reaction to how they're perceived.
1: Does knowing that it's going to be binged influence how you create and write the story?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things, you know, that, that um, is there's much less recappery, I think, in, in traditional week-to-week broadcast television, um, particularly... You know, there's some sense that you have to sort of catch the audience up with where they were and, you know, try to include things in the narrative at the beginning of episodes to sort of reset this, the overall stakes. And you don't do that at all in a streaming show. Like, it's just you just pick up and you just keep going. And it feels much more like one continuous story.
1: So how is Jack Ryan coming along?
0: I think Jack Ryan's going to be great. I mean, we're in the middle of editing the show right now. And I, I think it's a big kind of fun. I, you know, I think it's the streaming show equivalent of like a summer pole movie. Um, I, I think it has the, uh, the look and feel of the, um, like the Harrison Ford chapters of Jack Ryan. Um, but I think they really, really with the added advantage that because we're doing it over eight hours, we can do the sort of mosaic storytelling that, um, Tom Clancy does in his novels, you know, um, in a, in a two-hour Jack Ryan movie, you have to basically just follow Jack Ryan and go from A to Z, and you've got to be focused on Jack Ryan. In eight hours, you can, you know, go down um, a bunch of other paths. And and the thing I always loved as just a fan of Tom Clancy's books was, you know, you 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 read like a few chapters about a character, and you have no idea how this character gay engage- is you know connects to the rest of the story, and. Following those characters and seeing how they ultimately interact with your main characters was really part of the fun of building out those worlds. And that's something that we've done in our version of the show.
1: So in success, would there be future seasons? Would it be a new adventure every time?
0: Yeah, I think that we are viewing Jack Ryan as kind of the same way that Clancy viewed the novels. Like, there'll be like each season would be a new novel, but it would feature some of the same characters from, you know. So like, if you read Clancy's novels, you get Jack Ryan and James Greer and... Um, They carry over and some of the other characters, um, you know, carry over. But essentially you're telling a brand new story. So you could read, you know, you could pick up um, some of all fears and you don't need to have read Hunt for Red October to enjoy it. It's its own. It's its own book. And I think that's how we would do the show.
1: Are these based on actual novels or are you doing original stories for them?
0: No, they're original stories. I mean, originally Graham Roland and I were going to a- adapt one of Clancy's novels and we started working on it and it was like it, it felt dated. And then it you know, really became clear that one of the things that Clancy did so well was is that he had his finger on the pulse of like whatever the geopolitical crisis was of the moment. So our story is. Uh,
1: we have a few right now.
0: Yeah, well, ours is sort of a, is a is a terrorism based story about, um, you know, a guy who you know maybe the first guy since Bin Laden to really be the public face of Islamic terrorism, and oh. you know I think it's it feels timely still, unfortunately, um, but um, I think it's you know our goal was also to try to kind of get you inside that world and really understand um, a lot of the dimensions of the you know the problems that go along with um, the sort of you know uh, terrorism that we're facing
1: and what does John Krasinski bring to the part
0: I think you know Krasinski's super smart and one of the things that always defined and differentiated um, Jack Ryan as a character is that he's he's kind of an all American hero and he's, he's an analyst who turns into an operative. So he kind of is a problem solver with his intelligence, but he was also a former Marine. So he does have physical abilities, but you know, he, he's mainly a problem solver with his brains. And, um, you know, I think there's, you know, characters like, um, you know, Matt Damon in the Bourne series or, uh, Claire Danes in Homeland are pretty tortured. I mean, he's Jack Ryan and, and as portrayed by John, is is more like, um, um, you know, it's it's more like American Sniper or something like that, where you know you have a main character who is really a, you know, and you know just kind of a a good, decent, honest American hero whose, you know, dilemma is you know how do I stay a moral man in a amoral and immoral world?
1: From your perspective, what makes you say yes to any given project?
0: Um, it's really, uh, it's just kind of a gut reaction. And, you know, if I, if I hear an idea or if I think of an idea and then I just let it settle. And if I continue to be thinking about it and working around in my brain, then I say, yes, like it's, it, I usually, I have to give an idea like a, a week or more to percolate. And then I have to see whether, you know, it's something that I find myself thinking about. And then if I, if i if I'm still trying to work it out in my head, then I'm like, okay, this is, this is, you know, it just, it, it it kind of becomes this gut response. Like, is that something that I feel like, okay, I would spend, I'd like to spend a lot of time trying to, you know, live in this world and, and tell stories in this world. And, um, it's a pretty, you know, kind of intuitive process.
1: Is there one thing for you that defines a show, a Carlton Q show?
0: Wow. Um, I, you know, I love cross-genre storytelling, and that's something that um, I like. I love, I love genre storytelling, but I like to try to, you know, sort of, as I said, you know, I, I love I the idea of, of crossing genres. I, I mean, like I think of The Strain as this sort of epidemiological thriller crossed with a, um, like a pulpy horror, like graphic novel kind of a thing. Um, lost was really an adventure show crossed with science fiction. Um, I think, you know, Bates Motel was like a pulpy crime drama crossed with like a romantic tragedy. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, Jack Ryan is a pretty straight up techno thriller. Um, but I love, you know, I love genre storytelling and I love kind of crossing genres and storytelling you know the very first show i created for television was the called the adventures of briscoe Kenny jr and it was a uh you know a western with science fiction elements and that was really fun and um you know i i i love getting a chance to kind of have those kinds of worlds collide
1: perfect well thank you so much it's been a pleasure speaking with you
0: thank you deborah
1: Thanks for listening to today's show. We'll be back next time with another great episode. We'll be talking about the new season of The Voice with all of the season's coaches, as well as host Carson Daly and executive producer Mark Burnett. See you next time.
0: Anatomy of an ad.
1: Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect.